Hi there and welcome to another edition of Inside Rugby League, the podcast brought to you by the Yorkshire Evening Post. My name's Richard Byram and joining me on the line again as usual this week is my colleague Peter Smith. Peter, as you'll know, is the Yorkshire Evening Post Chief Rugby League Writer and he also contributes match reports and stories to our sister paper, the Yorkshire Post. Last weekend, Peter was at the Hull v Leeds game and another disappointing defeat for the Headingley men, Peter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, another week, another defeat. Yeah. Um, disappointed after they'd got a win the week before against Wakefield and particularly with fans being back in the stadium for the first time in 14 months and the performance was as disappointing as the result, really. I think Hull, you've got to give credit to play pretty well. They took the chances in the first half and defended superbly in the second, but Leeds needed to throw more at them. Their finishing was was really poor. They've scored one try in each half, um, dominated the second half in terms of territory and possession on the back of a heavy penalty count and some six agains and managed one try, which was three minutes from the end. So too little, too late. I've just been checking the stats and Leeds are actually the lowest scorers in Super League, right. which is very on, on Leeds like they're averaging around about 11 points per game. The positive is that their fourth, they've got the fourth best defence, so that's keeping them in it. But they've clearly got to improve with the ball in hand and get their execution better or it's going to be a long, painful season for them. Well, say a long season. The season will effectively be over if they don't pick up some, some wins soon. There are already two wins behind Castleford who they play on Friday with nearly a third of the season gone. And that's quite a lot to make up. It can be done. If you get on a roll, it's quite um, quite possible to, to win four or five games on the trot and get a bit of momentum. But at the moment, Leeds are just struggling to to get over the line. They'll certainly have to be more clinical this week against Castleford. Castleford are desperate for a win themselves and for a bit of form. They've lost their last two and they were pretty poor in their own first game in front of the fans against Solkjaer the other week. They need to pick up some form and some confidence going into the semi-final the Challenge Cup against Warrington. So it's a big game for them. Um, and Castleford tend to turn it on against Leeds. They were the better team when the sides met earlier in the season. 18-10 was um, probably a fair reflection of the way that game went. And Leeds, if they attack like they did against Hull, it's hard to see them getting too much joy out of Castleford's defence. So they need a, a big improvement with ball in hands. That's the, the crux of the matter. They are defending well enough to um to win matches but they're just not scoring enough points yeah i managed to see the leeds game myself and for the neutral or as, as our old colleague phil hay used to say for someone who didn't have a dog in the fight i enjoyed it as a game i have to say um it was a bit like two old boxers just constantly punching each other in the hope of <laughs> knocking <laughs> each other out I and mean, certainly leeds had plenty of the ball in the second half as you say and I think, was it two or three tries disallowed by v, uh, the video referee? Um, well, they had a couple in, in one set in the second half and, and one in the first half. I mean, they were all fair enough, those yeah. those decisions. I think the disallowed tries. That I mean, I'm not quite sure how Tom Briscoe, when he got over the line, failed to get the ball down, really. But that sort of sums up the way things are going for, for Rhinos at the moment. They've just got to take those chances. 
Yeah, I mean, that when was... When along. And they're, and they're, not, they're not doing... There's plenty of firepower in the team. They've got a guy who was last year's um, leading try-scorer in Ash Hanley. Tom Riscoe's a, a prolific try-scorer. Luke Riscoe can score a, a try out of, um, out of nothing. Conrad Hurrell, who's, let's face it, he's not... Um, he's not in the best of form at the moment. He seems to be struggling a bit, but he's a, a potent, potent attacking force. Luke Gale, halfback, Man of Steel the other year, um, England halfback. They've got players who can do it. They're just they're just not doing it at the moment. And yeah. I, I think if they can get a good performance and a good win, they got a win against Wakefield, but it wasn't a good one. It was scrappy. They were looking to get something out of the game. If they can get a good win and a good performance in the same game, then I think they're capable of kicking on, but it's it's hard going at the moment. Um they still they clearly need another half back, um, which we might talk about in a minute, just to support Luke Gale. I think the fact that Myler's back, Richie Myler at full back, will help him because they have a very good understanding, but both of them have been missing for a lot of this season, so it'll take a game or two for their combination to click. But um, they're just desperately in need of something to um, to pull all their attack together and to get them over the line. Yeah, certainly. Uh, as I say, the the Briscoe incident was very strange. He sort of had two or three flops at it and somehow still didn't get the ball down, did he? And then there was some sort of big dust-up after that. Um, not quite sure what was said or done but uh, all the players were certainly something happened they were very angry on both sides weren't they squaring up to each other and pushing and shoving and uh, again I think the referee passed it on to report and decided to let someone else sort out what had gone on but just uh, I think we said after the Wakefield game you know Leeds that stage although they'd won it was still very unconvincing and again Hull I guess obviously deserved the points, but also certainly improved defensively Hull this season under Brett Hodgson. Um, really worked hard on and off the ball to keep Leeds out. Um, but uh, as you say, they could do with do with a win soon. They have had injuries and they have had players either suspended or in or injured like Luke Gale and Myler. But now those players are starting to come back, aren't they? And, and as you say, you, you listed a load of players there who are people that you would class as regular first teamers. It's it's no longer kids and patching up really for Leeds, certainly in the backs, and they need to start turning some wins in as soon as possible, really. Yeah, well the the side that played against um Hull was a lot more a lot better balanced side, a lot more experienced yeah. side than some of the teams Leeds have put out this year, but there hasn't really been an improvement in performance when players have come back and they, they need to sort that out. But losing is a habit, isn't it? And they're, they're just struggling to get out of that habit at the moment. But I think a good win could could turn things around, as I as I keep saying. Whether, they, whether they're going to get it this week against Castleford or not, I think it's doubtful. Cass um, being at home at the jungle... It won't be a full house because of the COVID restrictions, obviously. But I was there when they played Hall KR the other week. I think the official attendance was 3,600, but it was noisy. Yeah. Um, it would certainly be noisy for the Leeds' visit. Most of the crowd, 90% of the crowd, would be sporting Castleford. So that's a big test for Leeds. Um, Cass have just 
dropped off a little bit since reaching the Challenge Cup semi-finals. They've had back-to-back defeats for different reasons, really. I thought they were disappointing against Solcao the other week. Um, first game back after the uh, the long break for the fans. And as we mentioned last week, teams that were at home seemed to, to struggle and cast one of them. Um, and then they went to Warrington five days later and lost a few players before the game, had some injury problems, had to reshuffle. Jesse Senelafeo was in the centre, which I don't think he's played before. And they did pretty well, by all accounts, for for an hour or so. Make, uh, Warrington got away from them late on. But I think they'll probably take a little bit of confidence from that performance. But they don't want to go into the Cup semi-final the weekend after this one against Warrington on the back of three defeats or on the back of a poor performance. So I think Castle will be highly motivated. People say, well, they'll have the Challenge Cup semi-final on the minds. Cast against Leeds, not sure. I think I think that's a big enough game for Cast to, to just focus on this one. Although obviously the Cup is, is the priority because they've got a genuine chance of getting to Wembley this year. The Warrington game is probably a 50-50 game despite what happened at the weekend. Um, so I, we'll have to see what Dal Powell does with his team. You wouldn't think he'd, he'd rush anybody back that's a doubt, would you, a, a week no. ahead of the semi-final. But I, I do think it's a game that Cass will be, um, will be particularly keen to win and I don't think they'll make it easy for Leeds and it's going to be a real test of Leeds' character. Um, they've not passed too many of those tests so far this year. So tough one, interesting game. Yeah, definitely. Um, looking forward to that one. I think, as you say, we've mentioned on here in the past, uh, Castleford leads. It's a game Castleford fans expect their team to turn up against Leeds and Wakefield, don't they? And ditto Wakefield, obviously, when they're playing Castleford and Leeds. They're the, they're the two teams they won't accept a second-hand performance for, regardless of Challenge Cups or anything else. The, the fans will be... Or those who can will be turning up next week, fully expecting um, Cast to push Leeds that further bit down and, and rub the noses in it a little bit more. And as you say, with the Challenge Cup final, our semi-final apologies the week after, they'll be wanting to go into that, you know, on a high. I'm sure. Um, from a Leeds point of view, as we've have already said, you know, it's time for excuses is is running out, and they really need to start producing on the pitch now. <laughs> Um, yeah, and, and when you look at the fixtures, after um, after Castleford, they've got St Helens at home, which you'd probably not really fancy them winning that. Catalans away, ditto. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it could quite easily, they, they could be two wins from ten games, which isn't, isn't good enough. I, I don't think the pressure's on like it was a couple of years ago when they had a poor start. To yeah. the season and London were picking up points because Lee haven't managed to do that yet. Although if Lee got a win or two, then then suddenly there is a bit of pressure on various teams at the bottom of the table. I'm I'm not sure that Leeds are, are going to get dragged into a relegation fight or anything like that. I think that I think they're too good for for that. Although you know we've said that about other teams who who have um, found themselves in that situation. I think yeah. Leeds will probably. Um, pull clear and, and be a mid-table side at the end of the season, especially when they get a few more, few more players back and players playing in the correct positions. But they they were aiming for a top four finish this year, and that's already looking um, looking a long way off. So it's it's 
disappointing for them and for their fans. However, on a brighter note, yes. your boys won on um, Sundays. I think we predicted last week that they would do for um, for Wakey. Fantastic to see them get the first win since um, last October when they beat Hull KR. You must have been pleased with that, Rich. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, um, I was working on Sunday afternoon and my phone kept binging and it, it was good news at first and then Hull KR came back into it a bit and I was starting to panic a little bit uh, because <laughs> with Wakey, you just never know until who to go, shall we say. So, um, But uh, they managed to hold on and uh, by all accounts, a good performance. I did manage to see the try on, <coughs> excuse me, the tries on the Sky Sports website a bit later on that day and they scored some nice ones and, and when we're talking about players returning and influencing the game. I think Jacob Miller and Bill Tupu, just from the highlights, plus from the comments that were made, both in yours and Dave Craven's match reports and also um, from what the coach said as well, Chris Chester, obviously they had a big influence on on that win by Wakefield. And we did say, as you, as you pointed out, that against Leeds, not necessarily had deserved to win the game then, but they certainly were in the game right until... Uh, the bitter end, uh, which was something they hadn't been doing earlier in the season. And you could see them catching a team out uh, sometime in the coming weeks. And fortunately, it was against Hull KR. You know, I thought, you know, that was a, a good result because Hull KR had been in great form and had probably been the surprise package of the season so far, really, in terms of how they'd been performing. Uh, so it, it was a great relief and obviously eased some of the pressure on Chris Chester, who... We pointed out the week before it looked dreadful really after the Leeds game and wondering perhaps were Wakefield ever going to win again. Well, he soon got his answer and and we did say as well that it looked like the players were still with Chris and still playing hard for him. And again, they showed that on Sunday uh, with a decent performance and hopefully now they can go and build on that. You know, they've got Huddersfield this weekend uh, who've been in good form. You know, they're starting to click under Ian Watson. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but again, Wakey of home advantage. In that, and also I noticed in the traditional Sunday slot we spoke the other week about would teams go back to playing on a Sunday afternoon. Both Wakey's home games, since fans were allowed back, have been scheduled for Sunday afternoon. So they're obviously going to keep that for the games at Bellevue, which is good to see. And uh, hopefully, you know, say Wakefield can now kick on and maybe pick up a few more wins and get away from Lee there at the bottom of the table. Uh, but uh, relief as much as anything. And, and please, please for the players and for Chris, none of them have had it easy through the COVID situation or through the last few months and uh, the start of this season. Uh, but things seem to be starting to come together now. You know, the, the, as we said before, they're, they're staying in games and competing and they're scoring a few tries and, one of my criticisms when they lost against Leeds was they didn't look to have anyone who could open the door. Well, Miller's back now and hopefully he scored a try or two on Sunday and hopefully he can now uh, sort of inspire the team. Um, just while we're talking about Wakey, I noticed as well, we spoke about Tom Johnson last week and his issues with concussion and uh, Chris Chester gave him a much better bulletin, didn't he, not long after we'd recorded this programme last week saying that... Uh, Tom was starting to show clear signs of improvement and was hoping to get back playing soon or back training at least. 
so so that's good news. Um, those issues are hopefully going away now for him and, and aren't going to be lingering and affecting him as a person and as a player. So I was, I was pleased to see that. Yeah, let's hope so, because he's, he's such a talent, is Tom Johnson. And I mean, apart from all that, you don't want to see players struggling with their health. No, not at all. With that sort of injury. So, yeah, let's hope that he can he can get back soon when it's safe for him to do so and um, he can still have a, a good season and push his way into the England squad, which will be one of his targets for the second half of the, um, of the year with the World Cup coming up in October. Um, speaking of which, we've had some news today from the NRL that it seems that George Williams has been released from his contract by Canberra Raiders. Yes. I, I say it seems because they've announced that he's been released with immediate effect, but he put a tweet out saying, basically saying that he'd been kicked out of the club and he hadn't signed the release. So there's perhaps a little bit more um, to develop on on that, but it's certainly um, an interesting development already. It's been fairly widely known that George Williams was homesick, he and his partner, and he wants to come back to England. He requested a release at the end of this season. That's been brought forward. So it'll be interesting to see what happens now. Um, as we've mentioned on this programme, Rhinos are looking for a a halfback, both for this season with Kyle Eastmond having retired from the game and next year onwards as Rob Louie is returning back to Australia. They've said they're keeping a close eye on the situation. I think Williams would be fantastic for Leeds, but I'd, I'd have to say they're, they're outsiders. Um, from what I've been hearing, it looks like Warrington, possibly surprisingly, are... Uh, leading the chase for um, for Williams. You'd think that Wigan, which is the club he started at, his hometown club, would be favourites. But um, some some people in the game think Warrington could well get him. Um, I think for Leeds, you'd think Warrington might struggle to get George Williams in this year. Probably the same for, um, for Wigan, who obviously are going to be looking for at least one half back at the end of this season with Jackson Hastings going. We don't know what Tommy Lulai is going to do next year. If those two clubs struggle to get um, Williams in their squad for 2021, could Leeds step in on a short-term deal? That might be a possibility, but I would, I would think what Leeds need to do is bring a half-back in that they can build a team around for the next two or three years. If they've got George Williams in this year, obviously it would improve their form, but then they'd, they'd still have to look for someone for, for 2022 if Williams is going to go to, to Warrington or possibly Wigan. So we'll have to see. I'm not sure that'll happen, but it's good to hear that Leeds are, are showing an interest in him and and um, are looking at that sort of quality of signing, even if I had to put some money on it, I'd say that he, he won't be coming to Leeds. But it's it's good that that they're interested in a player of, of that ability. Yes, yeah, certainly. And uh, a couple of years ago, when Leeds were in trouble um, on the on the playing field in, in terms of being drawn into a relegation battle, when the Gary went out, Gary Hetherington, the chief executive, executive, if I can speak, 
went out and brought in Rob Lewin and shook the squad up a bit, didn't he, mid-season? He's not frightened to do that, Gary, if the, if the right player become or players become available. And uh, you'd feel sure that, you know, as you say, even if it was a short-term solution, uh, it'd be good to see George at Leeds and it would certainly help solve their halfback problems in, in the short term. If, you know, I mean, Leeds may well, we don't know yet, do we, but they may well have somebody lined up from next season and it might just suit all parties to get through to the end of this season. It gives George some regular playing time before he sorts out his longer term future and it helps Leeds out of a hole in the short term with Kyle Eastman having retired and just the general sort of issues they're having with creative play that we've just discussed. So, you know, it would be it was a coup for Leeds, certainly, if they could get him, even if it was only for a short period of time. Um, as you say, I was reading about it this morning and there does seem to be some confusion because George seems to insist he, he, he says he wanted to leave at the end of the season, didn't he? But yeah. they've yeah. kind of said you're leaving kind of now or never. And But now, I think, as you pointed out, he says he hasn't signed the release form, so there's another bit of ding-dong going on now. But I'm sure ultimately he'll end up coming home uh, in the very near future anyway, both him and his partner. Yeah, you, men- you mentioned Rob Louis in 2019. They also did it in 2016, of course, when they brought in James Seguiaro. Yes, um, yeah, I've forgotten about played, him. Played, I think it was 10 games at the end of the season and then was going to come back and then didn't. And that was a bit of a saga. But um, his arrival certainly transformed Leeds' form in that season five years ago when yes. they were struggling near the, the foot of the table. So they have done it before. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if they bring in pull a rabbit out of the hat from somewhere this year. But um, I say I, I don't know whether it'll be it'll be George Williams. I mean, it, it would be tough, wouldn't it, if he came if they did get him, just supposing, and he came in and, and tore it up for for half a season and then went to to Warrington or Wigan. That wouldn't, wouldn't be great, would it? But um, we'll have to. We'll have to see. I mean, you know, my preference would be for for someone that's if they can get someone in this year that's going to stay for um, for two or three years. I think that would be the um, would be the ideal solution. But we'll we'll just have to wait and see. Yes, uh, as we've said before, I think with, in these uh, new COVID times as well, players obviously <laughs> reluctant to go either way, aren't they? Really, you know, as I think we spoke the other week about how. Some players look sure to head back home uh, down under as a, as a general term, you know, at the end of this season. And also perhaps not as much uh, eagerness to come over to the UK just at the moment with everything that's going on. And, you know, until COVID, I don't think it'll ever go away as a personal point of view. But, you know, while ever there's lockdowns and other issues, uh, players don't want to get cut off from their families and friends do they so far from home. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, like all sports, I guess, money talks. And if the money's right and the opportunity's right, then players will come and take the chance, whether that's somebody moving from Warrington to Leeds or from Manly to Leeds, for example, isn't it? So you say it'd be, be interesting times, but you know, keep your eye out because Gary Hetherington isn't frightened to, to go and make changes when he needs to. He doesn't wait for the end of the season, does he, as we've pointed out. And... Uh, 
be, could be an interesting few weeks for Leeds and their fans. And just uh, looking at the women's game for a moment, Peter, we spoke last weekend about the semi-finals and uh, it ended up, fortunately, the Rhinos got beaten, didn't they? And uh, York beat Castleford, which kind of ended our interest in the competition, sadly. But it uh, looked to be two good games, set up a final between York and St. Helens. Uh, yeah, um, I think it was effectively... They, um, whoever won the the Leeds and St Helens game was going to be favourites to um, to win the competition. If you look at the, the strength of the squads, um, there wasn't much in it. Leeds made too many mistakes in the first half, left themselves too much to do. Never really got the the big game players into it. I thought Saints did a a good job on um, Courtney Winfield Hill. They deserved to win Saints. I was impressed. By them, they'd lost a couple of semi-finals to Leeds, and you could see how much it, it meant to them. I think they'll beat York in the final, but that in itself is um, is quite a story. York, who I think won one game in the the previous women's Super League season, have signed these five players from Castleford and Castleford's former coach Lindsay Anfield, who's very highly respected in in the game, and they've been transformed. All yeah. of the the five had a a big game against the former club in the semi-final and they have nothing to lose in the final. They'll go out and give it a good, a good go. I think overall Saints will be too strong. But um, well, it's good to see a different team in the final, isn't it? Or two different teams in the final. The last two years it's been Leeds against Saints. Um, I think for the women's game, it needs to be more competitive across the board and, and it has been this year with York's emergence, although that's been at, at the cost of Castleford being one of the top clubs. They're still up there. They're still better than most teams in the competition, but then they're, they're not quite at the level they were at a couple of years ago. Um, but yeah, well done, well done to York. Um, it'll be a good occasion. It's been played as a curtain raiser to the men's semi-finals at Lee, so there's not going to be too many fans there, but it's going to be live on the BBC, and um, that's a big step forward for the women's game. It was on the red button last weekend, and that's what women's rugby league needs and deserves, a bit more coverage, a bit more of a media presence, and um, I think it's a part of the game that can uh, can go from strength to strength, as I've said before. The problem with it is in Super League, they're the teams at the top are far too good for the teams at, at the bottom. Yeah. And the top teams are competitive when they play each other and the bottom teams are competitive when they play each other. But when it's top against bottom, it tends to be a, a bit of a rout, which clearly is something that we're going to have going on until the competition gets bedded in a bit more and we get more players coming through. But um, it's a good watch and... And encourage people to watch and support the women's final and the women's game generally. Yeah, I, I managed to see some of the highlights, and uh, one player who caught my eye in particular, Savannah Andrade from York, um, who was a bit old school in ter- in terms of she was quite, you know, a, a sidestep and a dummy. And I think sometimes the male game. I was talking to some people at the weekend, and we were just chatting about coaching in general, and how teams are very, some teams now, they're very regimented in the way they play, aren't they? There's not much off the cuff. There's a clear plan 
players stick to it in attack and in in defence and know exactly what they're doing. Whereas uh, Savannah was a bit of a throwback to to the good old days where somebody just picked the ball up, stepped past one, pushed off another, <laughs> strode out of a third tackle and went in for a try. And it, and it was it was quite refreshing to watch. I enjoyed it. And That's exactly right. The the sort of they've not been they've not been overcoached. Yes. Really, yeah. I, I think I think that's a very valid point. I mean, Savannah was another of the players that York signed. She was at Bradford. They brought in seven, five from five from Cass and two from Bradford, and it's it's transformed them. Um, I only saw clips of the Castleford York game, but I, I saw all of the Leeds um, the Leeds Saints one, and there were a couple of outstanding performances. I mean, Saints have got some very good players. From a, looking at it from a Yorkshire point of view, Tara Moxon made a tackle that was absolutely out of this world um, to to pull down the Saints winger who looked all on the scorer. Yeah, absolutely fantastic bit of skill. Um, Frank Goldthorpe's try was outstanding, and um, I'm a big fan of Caitlin Beavers, who I think is an excellent rugby league player, the fullback for Leeds. Um, some of these players that. The very best of them, um, Courtney Winfield Hill and um, Caitlin Beavers. You know they've got bags of skill. They are good rugby league players. They're not, you know, just good women's rugby league players. They're good rugby league players. And as the game develops, we'll get more of those coming through. Let's hope it's not some of the natural enthusiasms not coached out of them. But the game's still in its its infancy. Yeah. Over here, it's still a long way behind New Zealand. And Australia, as I think we'll see in the World Cup, but it's making progress, and let's hope it continues. It, it could be a real growth area for the sport. Yes, and again, we spoke about spreading the gospel of the game, and you know, as you say, two two new teams in the Women's Challenge Cup final can only help. Obviously, Saint Helens' their men's team speaks for itself in terms of its history and prestige, but the the women's team coming along there now as well may encourage others in that area to play the game, as we've spoke about several times. And York itself, both with the men and women's team, are obviously a very progressive and ambitious setup there. Uh, obviously, the men's team trying to get into Super League, the women's team with the move they've made in, in recent weeks in signing those players and appointing Lindsay Anfield, show they mean business too. And although York has always been a strong area both professionally and amateur wise um, for the game it's good to see it coming back you know and uh, you know being strengthened again you know if we can't spread the word uh, far and wide then at least make sure our uh, traditional areas are as strong as they possibly can be and uh, that just brings me nicely on to a last point uh, for this week Peter the controversies about the academy um set up all the new academy licences for the next five years with three of our Yorkshire clubs um, surprisingly losing theirs, Castleford Tigers, Hulkingston Rovers and Bradford Bulls, you know, between them produced many, many rugby league players of all standards from international downwards um, and caused a lot of anger and upset from players in the game and volunteers and coaches uh, throughout the game too. And uh, 
on the face of it seems a, a very strange decision. The full decision doesn't seem to, or the full reasons don't seem to have been made public yet. Um, but by the same token, uh, the decision has been taken and it does seem very strange at a time when we need probably as many players and skillful players as possible to keep the game going and to keep the elite competition at least in touch with Australia and New Zealand. Uh, we seem to be chopping off one of our arms in the process by getting rid of these three academies. Um, you know, I've, I've actually done a, a comment about that in the Evening Post, which is online now. So, uh, you know, if you're interested in this subject, please have a look at that up. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's certainly a concern for clubs like Castleford. Um, one of the fears would be that maybe this is a precursor to licensing coming back at some stage for Super League and obviously they'll be at a disadvantage if that ever happens. Castleford produce a lot of Super League players, whether they're at the Tigers or, or at other clubs. And it's it's a blow for them. It's going to make it hard for them to... Obviously, local players who want to play for Cass are going to go somewhere else. Yeah. Possibly stay in the amateur game, or possibly give give up rugby league altogether, which isn't ideal by any stretch of the imagination. Um, tough one for Castleford. It'll be interesting to see how it develops. Whether I think Castleford are keen to continue running an academy, but obviously they, it's not going to be an elite academy. They won't get the funding that comes with that. Um, it's a blow for them going forward. I can't really say much much else about that um, and I'm not sure cutting academies is the way to get more people playing the game which is what is the most important thing the player pathway is broken as Castleford coach Dale Powell said the other day we need to get more players coming through into Super League but cutting academies not sure that's the right way to go about it I'll say if you're interested in this topic um, have a look at the piece that's on our website or in today's that's Tuesday's evening post and um, drop us an email let us know what you think about it yeah I'd certainly echo that Peter as I say the, the group of people I was speaking to are rugby league fans and involved with club, local amateur clubs uh, they just couldn't understand the reasoning behind it at all and that was one of their main points that never kind of never before have we needed a, a time where we need to produce more and more players really to, to keep the game going you know to keep the standards up and to keep the game alive at all levels really not just at the professional game because obviously some not everybody makes it but you know the, the best of the rest drop down into the conference or other leagues or they play socially or or whatever but keep keep the game as a whole going and uh, without these opportunities, as you say, people may think, well, if I can't play for Cass, I don't want to play for anyone. Or, you know, why can't, why can't I just attend my academy at Hull KR instead of having to travel across to Wakefield now? Or whatever it is, you know, they're just examples off the top of my head. Uh, but none of it positive for the game. And uh, let's hope it's a decision that they don't come to ruin a few years' time. And I think on that note, Peter, we'll finish there for this week. So thank you again for your comments. My weekly reminder that you can get the very latest uh, news and views on Rugby League from Peter's Twitter account at Peter Smith YEP or my own at Richard Byron YEP or the newspaper's own at YEP Sport and at YP Sports Desk. In addition, as Peter said, you can get uh, latest Rugby League news 
um, from our own website, yorkshireeveningpost.co.uk. And this edition of the podcast and others are also available on Spotify, Anchor, Apple and other platforms. So once again, thank you for your comments, Peter, and we'll hopefully be back soon.